Hello, everyone. My name is Kelsey, and I am the host of the Curious Clit Podcast. This is a podcast that seeks to spark compassionate conversations around sex and our bodies so that we can all feel a little less alone in the world, feel safer in our bodies, and ultimately have better sex. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider being a paid subscriber to my Substack, where this podcast is hosted, or you're welcome to like, comment, or share my posts, follow my Instagram, or check out the trauma-informed embodiment classes I offer for people who identify as women, trans, and non-binary. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I'm excited to share this next episode with you. Carly Petrovic, and she is a writer, and we met on Substack. So hello, Carly. I'm so excited to have you here today to have a little chat and a conversation. Thank you, Kelsey. I'm so excited to be here as well. Yay. And I'm going to go ahead and just read your bio to introduce you a little bit more to folks. When the other kids dreamed of becoming teachers and astronauts, Carly wanted to be a witch and also maybe a writer if that first choice didn't work out. In adulthood, she opted for the best of both worlds. Today, she is the one-woman team behind Cup of Sugar, an agency working to help clients access their own creative magic through copywriting, intuitive coaching, and tarot readings. Storytelling is in her blood, and Carly spends an amazing amount of time writing everything from the Yes Mistrix Substack, a newsletter about sex, love, and relationships, to her very first novel. She's also fully Aquarian, Sun and Moon, with a sexy splash of Scorpio rising. Carly sometimes dreams in premonitions and is always choosing coffee over water. She lives in Austin, Texas, with a muggle husband, baby girl, and three goofy hounds, one of whom will definitely be a human in his next life. Welcome, Carly. I love your bio. I love all the humor in it. And I've been really enjoying reading your Substack over the past couple of months since I first subscribed. So I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I um, thank you for the love on the bio. I, you know, I read a lot of bios and there's like definitely a fine line between too quirky <laughs> and, um, you know, not informative. So I'm just like riding that line, but I feel like it very much matches my personality. So that's, there you have it. But, um, and thank you, of course, for being a subscriber to Yes Mistrix. It's, um, it's very much a labor of love and um, actually became a thing because of uh, when I was giving my, I gave birth to my daughter nine months ago. And um, prior to that, I was really trying to create something where she could later in life, you know, read content about sexuality that wouldn't make her feel ashamed or weird, feel weird about her body or her sexuality or things like that. So I know we're going to dive into that a little bit in our conversation, but it just feels very aligned to kind of be able to have this conversation with you, someone who dives into those topics regularly in your own Substack and your work overall. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's incredible to be creating these writings and this body of work that she can come back to because I think that there's so little sex positive writing out there. And I know um, when I was growing up and hopefully or not hopefully, but maybe when you were too, you know, we didn't get access to that kind of writing and education and messaging that um, would give us like good messages around our bodies. And I'd love, um, I guess, to start the conversation there of to learn like how you grew up, what messages you received around sexuality, gender, your body, um, and also, if you could share what area of the country you grew up in, just the general region, too, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I grew up in the Midwest like you did. Um, I grew up in Ohio, 
Um, and although I don't feel like um, Ohio is quite as conservative as um, Indiana or you know <laughs> other parts of the Midwest, um, that has definitely changed in recent years. It used to be much more of an actual swing state. Now I think it's a much more conservative state. But regardless, um, I grew up in a home where both my parents grew up Catholic. So we were Catholic and we went to church and um, that alone gives you a lot of messages about your body. <laughs> um, you know, if you listen to enough stories of the Bible, Bible where you hear like women getting stoned to death, then I think that just kind of sends a message. But, uh, you know, outside of that, like my mom is someone who is very uncomfortable with her sexuality. Mm. And I feel like was always a through line um, growing up. And um, my parents, I think, were very afraid of like women who are very sexually powerful, very sexually forward, just because, you know, my dad grew up thinking like, oh, I know what teenage boys are like. I was once a teenage boy, a common fatherly <laughs> approach to raising <laughs> girls. That is something that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more, but is one of my kind of pet peeves, um, probably from the way I grew up as well. So, I mean, there was a lot of like, um, I would say awkwardness around conversations around sex. And my parents, I think just really didn't know what to do with me because from a very young age, I had a lot of questions about <laughs> the anatomy and like the body and like how babies are made and once, you know, and when I was going to get my period and things like that. And my mom was just so uncomfortable about that, like with everything outside of like the period stuff where, where she would have to be the one to talk to me about it. She would always be like, ask your father, ask your father. And to his credit, my dad was much more comfortable, like ask, answering these questions and dealing with, with the questions that I had, but also it's not really a great um, education for a woman to get from her father, who's a little conservative. <laughs> You know, so like inadvertently with all the Catholicism and all the like discomfort, you just take on this, these messages of shame and guilt and that sex is supposed to be this super special thing that you only do with the partner and you, you know, maybe only do to procreate. And, you know, I just, I never really felt that way um, about it. You know, not that it's, it's not special or it can't be special, but, you know, yeah, I didn't really go into it thinking that it was going to be like the movies and, um, you know, but <laughs> my mom maybe pushed that message a little too hard. <laughs> I, um, I will just tell you a quick story, but when I was learning to drive, my mom, my mom is a wonderful mom. Like we are close, but she's also a very overprotective person. And like I said, she's always been kind of uncomfortable in her own skin. So, um, you know, driving, it was like, I learned very quickly, like, I can't have this woman help me learn to drive. She's no. too <laughs> so she would drive me nuts. Like, she'd be sitting next to me, like, worried about everything. So we're going on these long, long drives with my dad, and we would talk about everything. And at one point, I, you know, I was talking to him about, about sex and about, like, sexuality and things like that. And um, I was like, well, you know, mom says that, sex isn't very good anyway, or something along those lines. And I get the look on my dad's face. He was pretty devastated. Oh, yeah. He was like, I don't know why she would say that. Like, your mom is kind of weird about sex. And it's true. So, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of baggage going on with the, the messages I got around, around sex, you know? So, um, I think that there were a lot of things that contributed to that. Some messaging that my own parents got from their parents, right? My, mm -hmm. my dad's messaging was like, if you get a girl pregnant, don't come home. So that kind of feeds into, um, you know, the next generation of what you're, you want to do better, but sometimes you pass along some of the heaviness of that too. So anyway, yeah. that's, a, that's a long explanation to your short question, but I hope I have a good looking when you ask that yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's so, it's difficult because our parents were definitely raised in a time and by people where things were a lot different, even thinking about like access to birth control and safe abortion and, um, you know, just medical care was a lot different for our grandparents' generation. And then, you know, you add religion and culture and everything. And then our parents definitely had like a really sex negative upbringing and, um, not a lot of encouragement to change that, but I think it's, you know, it's incredible when like we can have that upbringing and then um, make changes around it. But I'm curious, you know, you talked a lot about how, I mean, both of your parents, you know, had difficulties talking about sex and their own beliefs around it, but it seems like your dad was maybe the one who spoke to you more about it than your mom. Um, how do you think that change the messages that you received because you were getting them from a father versus your mother? Yeah, so I think I'll, that that definitely changed a lot around, um, you know, the kind of taboo of sex, right? So, you know, like when you get the messaging that like women who have a lot of sex are sluts, right? And like, that's not the wording they use, right? But that's the message, right? Like that's the subtext. And I think that, you know, kids are are very smart. They pick up on a lot. So even if you're not using super negative language, but the, the idea is that women have to be more careful than men do when they have sex, then we're also creating a lot of pressure or putting a lot of pressure on, you know, women or, um, you know, people who have vaginas and female anatomy to, to take more responsibility. And that like this mentality of boys will be boys, even if that's not something that the person sharing these, these stories or messages actually believes, but that is kind of the undercurrent of what they're saying. Right. So I think that from my dad's perspective and he being kind of overprotective in this way too, is that, you know, in order to protect my daughter from men who obviously can't control themselves or have like no ability to like keep themselves in check, then I have to be overly harsh or overly protective of her by scaring her away from these things or, or putting a lot more responsibility on her. Right. And just the messages around, you know, like if you ever got pregnant, we would, we wouldn't want you to have an abortion. We would want you, we would want to help you take care of it, but that doesn't talk about what I want at all. Right. And I think that that was a lot of the messaging too. So like, you know, if we think of men being conditioned to be the protector, right? And like as a, a father, right? The protector, the provider, someone who kind of lives these roles has that kind of perspective when it comes to sex. And I think that that's where a lot of it comes. So um, a lot of the messages I received were kind of that um, that heavy or that, that influenced in that way. Um, whereas, you know, someone with a female perspective or, you know, a more nurturing or womanly, however you want to say it, right, perspective um, would approach this in a different way. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of the messaging feels like, oh, be careful or, you know, protect yourself. Don't be too open. Don't be too flashy. Don't be too sexually suggestive. You know, don't ask for it. Right. And again, these aren't like the words he's using, but the, these are the messages that come from that type of overly protective mentality. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's interesting to me, it's so prevalent of just these men that are, um, you know, the idea of like, oh, I was a teenage boy once too. So they're kind of critiquing themselves of, you know, like saying that they were out of control too. And then also kind of, you know, letting men and boys off the hook in terms of their own responsibility around like respecting the women in their lives around sexuality. But then it like, also puts the responsibility totally on the girls and the women to, you know, be withholding themselves from sex and to be doing all the different things they can to avoid getting into trouble. And it's really tough. And it's, 
you know, challenging. So I think those messages really like stick with women and girls a lot of times too. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it brings up another thing too, around like, you know, when my, um, you know, when I'm growing up and I'm having like teenage boys as boyfriends, right. Like, you know, and the way that your parents respond to your first boyfriend or whatever, if you're a, a teenage girl, a lot of times is, you know, an, a, a little bit of an outsized reaction or you anticipate it's going to be a bit of an outside reaction. But I always find it um, baffling that a lot of men who are fathers are always worried about these, like these handsy teenage boys, but they don't spend a lot of time assessing like, the creepy men that they allow into their lives, like their creepy friends who like hit on teenage waitresses or like the, the weird uncle that no one wants at Thanksgiving because he has like a bit of a weird history. Right. So we're like <laughs> men sometimes are overly protective of like children basically, right? Like their own child and then who are dating these other children when they really should be concerned more about like the weird, creepy adults who, who don't send good messages or aren't appropriate around their, their teenage daughter or teenage son, you know what I mean? So yeah, a little baffling. I do too. It's totally, it's sad to me how normalized it is that men will just, you know, their peers it's okay for their peers to like flirt with the young waitresses and to make comments about the young women and that's like normal for older men to be attracted to younger women but they don't ever say anything about that it's just like you know when the boyfriend comes over it's like this whole big ordeal I don't know if your (laughs) parents ever said this but my dad and my brother even would always joke about bringing out their shotguns when i brought boys over and i think that's a very like midwest south thing to say but it was always sort of horrifying to me (laughs) yeah like a lot of like uh murdery vibes right around like this whole thing and it's like okay that's so over the top and also i you know I don't really think it helps, right? Does that like not make this person more attractive when you create yeah. this forbidden love? It's <laughs> <laughs> love drama. <laughs> I don't want to die for the person we loved in high school. Like, like, like at the drop of a hat, we'd be like, oh, well now I love them way more, right? Like yes. this teenage rebellion just kicks right in. So I don't even know how helpful it is. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because that that is very uncomfortable and, and feels a bit wrong. Like, you know, I would not be encouraging my husband to speak that way to our daughter. And I yeah. think at this point he would know better, right? Like, you know, <laughs> times have changed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And I think, I mean, you mentioned this before, but it's not just like that. I mean, it encourages girls, I think, to like go after these like forbidden partners. Um, But it also kind of robs them of their own agency around sexuality because they're taught so much they need to be on the defense and they're never taught like this is your body and pleasure can be a wonderful thing. And, you know, like you have the right to your body and to your boundaries and also to your own desires. Um, And I'm curious, you know, thinking even about like your newsletter and the name of it, Yes Mistrix, um, and the way that, you know, you're advocating in there a lot for like your own desires and women's desires. Were there things over the course of your life that kind of helped you shift from you know, these messages that you receive from your parents um, into having more of a um, agency and like what you wanted and desired in sex? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I always feel like I was born as a fully (laughs) sexually like aware person or like I I had a, a good grasp of my sexuality from a really young age. And it was just 
no one else really knew how to deal with that. Like, I, like I was always pretty comfortable and I think it made everybody else around me a little uncomfortable. And it is, you know, uh, especially if we don't grow up in a, in a sex positive way, right. It is uncomfortable when like your teenager is like very sexually comfortable with themselves. Not to say that I am perfect at, by any means or that like, I don't feel shame or guilt or anything like that, but I just feel like so it was like, I came in this way that was like more fully formed. And then like, you know, my parents were not prepared for these kind of questions early in life where like <laughs> the fact that I, like I was the pursuer for a lot of my relationships that I, I was very comfortable with the idea of sex and pleasure. But I think that one of the, the big shifts is that um, over time, I started to become just more comfortable with like the, um, the fantasies and like the de desires that I have. That was probably like the last sticking point for me. Mm -hmm. Like I find it very hard to talk about my deep desires with partners, um, even my husband. And I think that part of that is what I like to call like this Midwest repressed <laughs> mentality where it's like, it's very hard to talk about deeper things sometimes, um, even with someone that you love and you share your life with. Um, and so uh, I think over time, it's been um, really about taking control of that sexuality and, and not giving so much power away to the messages that I'm receiving or the way that other people react to me. Um, and just saying, hey, I do really want to write about sex. I think about sex a lot. I think about pleasure a lot. You know, I, I, it's on my mind a lot. You know, I like to read erotica. I think about writing erotica. Um, there are just things that I've found it's okay to be this person, you know? And so the name of my substack, Yes Mistrix, right? Something you might say in a dominant submissive relationship, right? It's really the overarching theme is about taking control of your sexuality, just like someone might take control in that type of dynamic and that type of relationship. So um, I, it's been a long time coming. I've been grateful to kind of encounter people who are more sexually kind of advanced in terms of their, but their awareness and their openness. Um, and that kind of gives me um the courage to be that way as well. And I think one of the major things that um, helped me along is one of my mentors talked about a woman named Kim Anami. Um, and she has a bunch of courses. And one of them is vaginal Kung Fu. And I took that course. And it was fantastic. So much fun. But she's like a person who is very sexual and like has also talked about like some people just have a lot of sexuality and like yeah. awareness sexuality early. Um, and so that a lot of those kind of experiences have given me permission to just be more fully myself in that way. That's so I hope incredible. there's a question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's incredible. So it seems like from the beginning, you kind of had already, you know, a solid sense of your sexuality. And even though you were getting these messages that were more negative, you had this idea that sexuality was a good thing for you and was worthy of exploration. But then later in life was kind of a time when you started to maybe go a little bit deeper into exploring specific fantasies and desires that you had. And then um, having some help along the way with some courses and stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, um, it's funny too, because once I, I, I actually like for me to have sex for the first time, I was 19. So, you know, for someone who is pretty like sexually aware, I still didn't actually have, you know, what you think of as like, you know, penis and vagina sex, right? Like actual intercourse in that way for a long time. Um, and like the road to like being comfortable doing that and like having it actually feel good a, a long time, right? Like, and I think that is something that generally tends to be harder for women. You know, it's like there's, there's more of an opening up process or figuring out pleasure because, you know, there's, 
nothing created to really help us. Now there is, but back in the day, right? Like there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of resources to help us like figure out our pleasure or like to even know that we were supposed to also come, right? That like sex wasn't over, somebody else did. Uh, But like once I kind of got into that kind of, um, that routine of like having sex with a person and, you know, my college boyfriend at the time and things kind of like opened up. It was one of those experiences where, you know, I thought back to that conversation my dad and I had about my mom in the car about her telling me that, you know, sex isn't that great anyway. And just being like, what is this woman talking about? Sex is awesome. (laughs) I mean, I want everyone to feel that way. You know, like I want everyone to experience that and be like, no, this is, this is awesome. But it requires you to be comfortable in your body and it requires you to be comfortable with yourself. And that is kind of a big ask for some people, unfortunately, it's, it's hard to get there sometimes. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's challenging because, you know, we receive so many messages um, all around us about like catering to men's pleasure and focusing on their bodies. And I think that's definitely shifting now, but, um, you know, even like five, 10 years ago, like you would look on Cosmo or, you know, the different magazines and it would be like 10 tips to give a great blow job or whatever it was. (laughs) And instead of like teaching, you know, people with vulvas and vaginas about like, how do you, you know, take care of your own body and how do you give yourself pleasure? And I think it's such a journey for a lot of folks like learning, um, even learning about their bodies. You know, people don't even know where their clitoris is or what a vulva is. They just think of it as a vagina and they're missing like the whole so much down there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good way. It's funny, when I was pregnant, I was very convinced that I was having a boy for the longest time. And I told my husband, I was like, I will be damned if I give birth to a son who does not know where the clitoris is. Like he'll know before he's an adult, but like these are like important things that we need to be teaching our sons, you know, in addition to our daughters. Like our daughters need to understand their bodies. And our sons also need to understand like bodies that don't look like theirs. Like it goes both ways, right? Like we should all have a better understanding of like the equipment we're working with, kind of disconcerting <laughs> that we don't, you know. So it it really is because I mean this is like a very I think a basic part of just being a human. Like we're all sexual beings and these are our bodies and you know you should understand your own body and also like the body of the person that you're having sex with. I think that should be a very like one oh one situation. You know, if you're kind of interacting with a person who has a body that is very different from your own and, you know, I'm, I'm like nowadays, right. People identify differently. They have, you know, different anatomy that they're working with. If you ever don't know, like really what to do or what would be good for them, right? Like most of the time within the context of sex, we're talking about like what would be most pleasurable for this person, right? why don't you ask, right? Like you <laughs> should be a, a totally okay thing, right? Like you don't want to get to a place with person where you feel comfortable having sex with them, but you don't feel comfortable asking them questions about like their pleasure, right? So it seems a little um, disingenuous, right? Even if we don't know, we can always ask. Yeah, I think, you know, people feel so uncomfortable talking about sex. It's like sex taxes and death or something that people are like most afraid to talk about (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah and not that it's always easy right like i am maybe this is not like the best thing to encourage people but sometimes i feel like having a conversation over a glass of wine if it's going to be something that you're uncomfortable with is a little (laughs) bit of a help like i'm not saying get trashed and have a deep conversation necessarily right but like you know anything that like makes you feel a little bit like loosened up and out of your own head I I think is positive so you know it doesn't have to be alcohol it could be like 
a meditation or something, but like something to pull you out of like the stories you're telling yourself in your head, this narrative you've created that may or not may not be true. Right. So I think that like, sometimes we need a little push to have those, those conversations because especially, um, and you've touched on this in your work, Kelsey, right. Talking about fantasies can be very uncomfortable for a lot of so like giving yourself permission to do the conversation, not perfectly, or like with a little, <laughs> a little bit of lubricant <laughs> so would, be, would be a good way to approach it. <laughs> yes, for sure. You're so right. Cause I think that, I mean, these conversations can be so difficult, but just finding a way to make it, you know, it doesn't have to be this like huge, serious ordeal. You can find a way to get out of your head and, to make it into something fun too. Um, I'm wondering like for you, do you have any tips for people around like communicating with your partner about your desires? Cause I mean, this is something that you write about too in your newsletter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, getting, you know, Getting my husband to talk about it is sometimes a little bit hard. And it's hard for me too. I'm I'm not putting this on him, but sometimes I'll just like go in there, <laughs> go in there hot in these conversations and be like, okay, by the end of the week, I want you to tell me like three things that you're interested in trying. <laughs> right. Like, so it doesn't have to be right now. Give it some thought. Come back to me with a list. Like, let's let's give some stuff a shot. But um I also, I think a good way to have conversation is around things that are working and then things that either can improve or just you would like to try differently. Um, Because, you know, always starting the conversation with complimentary things, right? Like you're, you're having sex with this person probably because you really care about them and you probably mostly like what they're doing, hopefully. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> it's not the right relationship. But I mean, you know, you can always get into a relationship and it's a little rocky to start um, in that arena because you do need some time to figure stuff out. But one of the things that was kind of cool early on in my relationship with my husband is that um, one year for Valentine's Day, and I don't know if it's still available, but Slate, dot com they had this um kind of like fantasy questionnaire that each person would take separately and then they would only share the the desires or the fantasies where you both said the same thing and matched oh you could avoid any conversations of say like you know strap-ons yeah. if her <laughs> was way not into it and you were <laughs> And then, you know, it's kind of like, uh, how do we kind of consolidate like one person's desire with the other or whatever? It was just like the things that you were both really aligned on. So if you both wanted to try, you know, using toys or something, then that would pop up as like, oh, you both you both agreed to this. So like then that starts the conversation a little bit easier because you're both on the same page from the beginning. Oh, that's so cool. Because I think, yeah, it's much easier to start talking about things when you kind of know that you both are into the same things rather than, you know, going out on a limb and like hoping that maybe they're into the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that I've heard, and I I don't know that I've tried this fully. I may have um, given it a shot once or twice, but like sometimes I've heard people suggest like, oh, well, describe it as like you had this dream and you're intrigued by it. So like you tell your per- your person, right? Like, oh, I had this dream where we did this in bed and it was really hot. Would you be open to trying that kind of thing? Yeah. So that's kind of funny too. But I mean, like at the end of the day, you just want to be able to say the things that you want to say without like dying a little on the inside <laughs> from embarrassment. So if- saying that you you it happened in a dream or saying you know let's use this like slate fantasy generator quiz or whatever like whatever it is uh you know you just kind of have to find your own way because I'm sure everyone's a little bit different yeah for sure I think you know we can't there's not like one size fits all on how to share about these things and start the conversation 
Yeah, exactly. But I think it's beautiful. A lot of what you're talking about is, you know, like you as a woman starting these conversations and like putting your desires out there and also asking, you know, your partner about them. And I think that's really incredible because a lot of women kind of wait for, you know, if they have a man partner for him to like take charge and be the one to kind of lead the conversations. Um, was, was there anything specific that like helped you get to that place? Or was that just something that has always been a part of you of being able to kind of take charge and to um, advocate for yourself in that way? Well, you know, I think kind of realizing that my pleasure is important too, right? Like I always liked having sex, but for the longest time, you know, I didn't orgasm during sex. Like that was not a part of the experience. And so even though I was having fun and I was feeling pleasure, I was not feeling that necessarily. And for a long time, you know, I was not into like oral sex for me. Like I, I was perfectly fine giving it. And then I was like, so uncomfortable receiving it. And I would have like a couple male partners be like, Oh, well, that's, that's because you haven't had someone really good do it. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, uh, Well, it's not you. So I don't <laughs> like, <laughs> No, okay. No, I don't like when people tell me shit like that. But um, <laughs> turns out, that when you do have someone really good at it, it is really pleasurable. Yeah. But more than that, it's someone you feel comfortable with, right? So it's not even technique, right? It's like being comfortable enough with yourself and being comfortable enough with your partner yeah. to say, okay, I, I am opening myself up to this experience. And so for the longest time, like the story I told myself was that like, I wasn't into it. But really what it comes down to when I kind of self-assessed and and thought about it a little bit more was like, I wasn't comfortable with that, with myself and like with someone else being there. And like, I, I think that, you know, a lot of the messaging around like the way vaginas smell, right? Or like, you know, it's like yeah. spend your whole teenage years thinking like your vagina is supposed to smell like a flower because yeah. of weird oh. products on the market. <laughs> someone's like, no, that's yeah. not like, no. It it cleans itself, like, you know, it's like you don't need to be doing all this stuff. Like, do less, do less. So I think once I finally, you know, heard that truth of like it's meant to smell and taste like a vagina, you know, it's like that opens you up so much more too. Because I don't see a lot of men worrying about like deodorizing their dicks. Yeah. Not really, not <laughs> a market product no. or market share going to products like that. <laughs> I think that once we kind of get our shit together and are like, okay, this is absurd. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be more open. Like that helps too, you know? And just like not that every person needs to orgasm every time you have sex. Like that's a lot of pressure. And also, you know, that I don't think that we should have goals like that in sex, but knowing that like your pleasure is also a priority and, you know, having the confidence to make sure your partner knows that too. um, I think that that opens up a whole world of, of things for people. Oh my gosh, so much yes to all of that because it's, oh, it makes me so sad that, you know, we grew up with these messages around like our vulvas are so dirty and gross and smelly and then like people with vulvas feel like they can't, you know, ask for oral sex. I mean, I was the same way of like, it took me, I probably was having sex for almost four years before I let someone go down on me and I think, you know, I hear that from so many folks and it makes me really sad because it can be one of the ways that people experience a lot of pleasure. And I think it's very common for people to say like, you know, it's um, like, I'm just not into it. I don't want to do it. And then, you know, that becomes, I don't know, a way that they kind of avoid confronting the fact that we've been giving these messages around our bodies. But it can be so powerful when we start to realize that our 
bodies are beautiful, they don't have a smell. And when we start advocating for our own pleasure and like our right to that is so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it does. It just opens up so much more of your relationship of, you know, the closeness that you can feel with someone when you stop blocking what you actually want based on what you think you should want or what society tells you you should want. Like I, I was watching the movie, The Holiday. Are you familiar with this classic? I watched it for the first time maybe six months ago or something. It was like not around the holiday time. I think it was just like on sometime or on a plane I watched it. Regardless, I was watching this movie and at one point Cameron Diaz's character is talking to um, Jude Law's character uh, and telling him that she really thinks that foreplay is a waste of time. Oh my gosh, yes. I was like, oh, no, come on, girl. This is These are the things that are ruined yeah. for millions of women. Oh, my God, you no. Know. I watched that this Christmas because my mom and I watch it every year. But for some reason this year, I heard that line and I was just like, oh, I can't believe it. Like so many people watch this movie and they just absorb that, you know, and it, she kind of comes off as like, she's the cool girl because she just wants to have like penis and vagina sex and she's not like too much trouble. Oh, you know trouble? Yes. Get out of here. No, you are not. <laughs> Like, call that shit out when you see it. Like that, you know, that movie was made back in the heyday of like the cool girl mentality, right? And, you know, I think Gone Girl is the book that really kind of um, made that idea of the cool girl kind of like solidified and like what, you know, we're all supposed to be eating so much and loving anal sex and like just not bothered at all by anything and having <laughs> no emotions whatsoever and just being like a beautiful princess that doesn't mind if you cheat on us or whatever. Uh, and so I think that that is one of those things that is slowly starting to become less of a thing in society. Women feel like they don't have to be kind of the cool girl. They can ask for the stuff that they actually want and not put on this show. And I say that as someone who spent so much of her life trying to be like this cool girl with like my sexuality, Um, because being like a really sexual person, I was like, well, this is how I have to do it. Like, this is what sexy is, is like letting like having a lot of sex and not caring and like, you know, not staying the night and, you know, all these things that we build up in our head, like if we catch feelings right then like it's immediately not sexy anymore and we are no longer desirable um and you know that's that's one of those things that I'm so happy to leave in my past yeah for sure I think it's so sad because I mean so many people who have been socialized as women have been given that message around like you know you don't want to be too clingy or to be like the one that you know, wants to spend all the time with that person. And it really prevents people from advocating for what they want and like building those closer and more vulnerable relationships that can be so fulfilling. Right. Yeah, for sure. And you set yourself up to be with a lot of wrong partners when you're not honest with yourself about like what is actually important to you. Yeah. there's nothing wrong with having a lot of casual sex. Is that what you actually want, though, is the question. Because perfectly fine if you do, but if you actually want the relationship, then being upfront about it, you know, there's no reason to try to get someone who isn't on the same page, like kind of tricked into a relationship with you (laughs) or how you want to put it, right? Because, you know, it's not going to be the right one. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of pressure to be 
playing the game or taking it slow so as not to come on too strong, right? Don't be too clingy. Don't come on too strong. And I think that's a huge disservice to, to everyone. It really is. Um, and I'm curious, I mean, now like you have, you have your partner and you're a new mom and um, do you have any advice for people who, who have kids who are starting motherhood and um, around like relationships and sexuality? That's such a good question. So one of the reasons why I, so I spent the majority of my life thinking I would never have kids. Um, didn't want kids, not particularly fond of like random kids, you know, I'm like not that nurturing type, like, oh, let's babysit, let's hold your baby. I was never that. Person. <laughs> um, and uh, so when I, I did decide like, oh, hey, I do actually want this for my life. A lot of the reason why I think it took me so long to kind of get on that page was that I didn't have a lot of role models of people doing motherhood in the way that I would want to do motherhood and that not sacrificing my whole life for my child, not putting my child before my partnership, mm. loving my husband and making time for us and like, you know, making sure that our sex doesn't go down the toilet the yeah. second kid. <laughs> like these are all things that are very important to me, not losing my sexual identity, not losing my identity as a writer, you know, like, I, I never wanted to be kind of like a mom first. I always wanted to be, um, you know, really solid in myself and and in my partnership yeah. outside of my my child. So um, I think that the biggest thing I would say, um, you know, and my daughter's only nine months old, so I'm by no means an expert, but I think that really knowing what you want to maintain in your relationship and mm -hmm. in yourself is so important before or you start the process of having kids because once they're here, once you're pregnant and then once they're here, it's like, that is not the time to be doing any sort of planning around <laughs> what you want now. Tired, like things are crazy. Your body feels different. And I say this as someone who had a magical pregnancy, a wild natural birth in my home. And like, I, you know, for me, the hardest was the postpartum period, not around like feeling depressed, but feeling so disconnected from my body. And yeah. for the long time, kind of getting back to that place where I felt comfortable being intimate with my mm. partner. Um, and so on that front, I would say just give yourself time. You know, like Amy Schumer has a very funny joke about how they're like, oh, you can't have sex for like six weeks after you give birth. And she's like, six weeks? How about six months? Like, I feel like a monster. <laughs> so funny. So it's like very different for everyone, you know, like what, what feels right. Um, but I will say for me, post baby sex has been fucking bonkers. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I, I feel like now, like, when I gave birth in my own bathroom on the floor, <laughs> my husband <laughs> saw everything. And so like, no, no secrets. And like, we still are not like, like I said, Midwest repressed. Like we are not the people who like go to the bathroom in front of each other. Yeah. So, like, we'd rather die than have that be a thing that becomes a part of our relationship. So birth, it's like, you saw everything. And so it's like, there's a greater comfort for me in my own body now that I'm kind of, you know, back to feeling like my body is mine again. Um, and I think there's just like a new level of openness that you have with your partner. And I'm not saying please have a natural birth in your own home in order to like <laughs> birth experience is going to be uh, opening and bonding. I feel like, you know, if you're, if, you're with the right person and you know they are a true partner for you so yeah I, I would say that sex has only improved after kids and I know that's not everyone's experience but it has been for me and um, I'm, I'm really enjoying that so I think just giving yourself space giving yourself time and being honest about what you need both um, before it happens and after it happens uh, that's that has been the key for me Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. And I think very hopeful because I feel like a lot of people, you know, we 
see and hear so many messages around like sex and relationships kind of going downhill after people have kids and um i think it's beautiful to know that or to think about like how it can be something that can be cultivated and it's not something that automatically has to disappear once you have kids yeah and i think that you know if i could shout that message from the rooftops it would be great because that's another thing that like society loves to kind of tell us what our pregnancy experience is going to be like, what our post-pregnancy experience is going to be like, what our relationship's going to do afterwards. And none of those things are set in stone, right? We're all individuals. We can all make individual choices. We, you know, I think that a lot of the reason why I had such a great pregnancy was that I refused to believe that it was going to be awful, that I was going to feel terrible. I just, you know, I, I was like, no, I don't, I don't believe that. I think that it can be a really wonderful experience, you know? And so I feel the same way about my relationship. I refuse to believe that because we have a child that now we have a dead bedroom as well. That's just, I refuse to make that my reality. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think my husband's pretty on board with that as well. We, We know that you know, over the course of our relationship, we've had times where we're like, okay, we need to work on the sex stuff again. We need to get on the same page and, you know, relationships up and flow, like, you know, emotionally, all these things. But I think if you're both committed to it, then you can always find your way back and, and change the current reality to the one that you really want. Oh, that's so incredible. And such a good point, because I feel like for a lot of people, as soon as like they have those low points in the relationship, they get really stressed about it. And, you know, they worry that nothing's ever going to be amazing again. And it kind of sets off all the alarm bells. But I think it could be really assuring for folks to hear that, like, it's okay to have the ups and downs and just kind of like talking about it and um, making it a priority to kind of bring that intimacy and that spark back into the into your life and relationship. Yeah, definitely. Because if you're going to be with the same person for a really long time, it's just inevitable that you're going to have periods where you really want to punch them in the face for some (laughs) stupid reason. And so you just have to make that choice to be like, oh, yeah, this is still my person. We're still, you know, we're still on the same team. So, yeah. I, I agree. And uh, thank you for, for asking that question, because I, I do think that it's so important when we're in these long-term partnerships or, or partnerships of any kind to just continually talk about it, even when it's hard. Yeah, really is. Um, and I'd love to kind of segue from that into Uh, asking you more about your work because I think you kind of talk about this in your newsletter and um, in some of the writing that you do out in the world and so can you share a little bit a little bit more about the Yes Mistrix newsletter and then also um, your other work because I know that you have a, a writing agency and you offer some different writing services and you're also a tarot reader. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> so um, Yes Mistrix, um, the above all I what I've realized is it's like the majority of the time I just want to tell like fun and funny stories about my relationship and you know things that I see out and out in the world there are definitely um more serious stories as well and you know things where I do a little bit of a deeper dive on you know experiences that I've had that were uncomfortable things like that but Mostly I like to keep it lighthearted um, and make it accessible for people. And a lot of times the content that comes through is just like stuff that's been on my mind. Um, Like recently I've been thinking a lot about victimization in relationships. So that'll likely be an upcoming um, newsletter, just how, you know, we we feel victimized by certain relationships that we end up in when we have really terrible partnerships and, you know, um, kind of how we respond to those types of things and break the cycle. Um, but anyway, so like I said earlier, that that newsletter was something I initially created. So my daughter would have a great example of like a sexually empowered woman 
regardless of how she identifies later in life, you know, what her sexual preferences are, all of those things. It's like I needed that content to be out there. So she had a different perspective than I had growing up. Um, you know, she she has a mom who is comfortable with who she is and like you know, I'm sure she's not going to want to read stories about me having sex with <laughs> her father, but <laughs> she knows at least that I'm the type of person who will write stories about that. So that's, that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond Yes Mistress, which is really like my passion project, um, I have a LLC, Cup of Sugar agency. And so Cup of Sugar was initially created to be the the business that I did all my tarot readings for. Um, but I also have done copywriting and freelance writing for a decade or more now. Um, so they're both kind of under that umbrella. But what it really is, is, um, you know, a business that is dedicated to creative magic. So if I can help people with tarot readings and kind of give them some insights into their life, I also do kind of intuitive coaching um, where, you know, I'll help people with everything from their businesses to their relationships, things like that, just based on intuitive psychic messages that come through for me. And then um, I also do every once in a while, like a writing workshop or just some copywriting projects in addition to my own writing. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like a, an everything sort of umbrella of, of things I do. But I am the kind of person who likes to do a million things at once. And you know, I'm constantly kind of allowing all that energy to kind of flow through me. So when my creativity is flowing, I, I kind of try not to keep too much of a lid on it. Um, and that's why I end up with many projects and many things. Um, but uh, I, I think that, you know, the newsletter that I write is really, it's kind of like a culmination of that intuition that comes through for other people as well. Um, because a lot of times the content that I write about sex and relationships are like comes to be kind of like downloaded, you know, I, I have it fully written in my mind before it ever goes onto the page. So um, I and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how, you know, intertwined sexuality and creativity are and, and having sex and, and birthing ideas into the world. So um, I think that kind of all comes into play with with this stuff that I'm doing out in the world. Yeah, that's so incredible. I think there's so much pressure to like, you know, put yourself in a box, but I think we really do ourselves a disservice because there's so many things that intertwine and can really, I don't know, deepen our, our knowledge and our creativity when we combine them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know that too, right? You do writing, you do a podcast, you have done a lot of sex educating, you know, so, you know, it's, it's not easy for us sometimes to just say, this is who I am. And it's, yeah. <laughs> hey, we should all be many things. We should all be multi-passionate. <laughs> we should. Um, and where can people find your, your newsletter and also your, um, your agency and your services? <laughs> Yes. So yesmistrix.substack.com is where you can find the, the Substack newsletter. Um, and there's a bunch of things that you can read on there for free and just kind of get a sense of my voice because it will not be for everyone and that's okay. Um, and then cupofsugaragency.com. Right now, the um, the face of that website is very much dedicated to the writing, um, but people can reach out to me through there or through Substack um, if they're interested in a tarot reading or intuitive coaching um, of any kind. I'm, I'm really open. So um, that's where people can find me. I'm no longer on social media. Um, that has been an awesome thing for my mental health and, and everything. So uh really, you can find me uh, at those two websites. Awesome. And I'll include those in the show notes so people can find you. Um, and yeah, th- 
thank you so much for joining me today, Carly. This was such a lovely conversation. And I know for me, I'm going to be thinking a lot about it over the next couple of weeks because there's so much that you said that really resonates with me and I hope resonates with people listening too. Uh, yes. Yeah, I definitely hope it resonates. This was such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for your questions and for your invite to come and chat with you. It's a pleasure getting to know you. And I look forward to hopefully continuing these conversations more down the line. Yeah, same here, Carly. <laughs> the curious clip podcast i will put carly's links in the show notes and i'll see you again for this next episode of the curious clip